sunrise service today? Anybody make it to sunrise service? How many made it to breakfast? Oh, that was good too. They had biscuits and gravy. You guys missed out. They didn't go. I tell you, it was great. They had a good time. I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along this morning. And, and let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to share your word and make it applicable to our lives this Easter of 2014. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard about this country couple. I heard about this couple that lived on the other side of Dayville. And this was at the turn of the century. This was during the horse and buggy days before automobiles. And, um, and, and they had been married for 50, 50 years. They just celebrated their anniversary. And they never had a single argument or disagreement in those 50 years. Not one. And the husband uh, was asked the secret of their marital bliss, the secret of their successful marriage. And he said this, he said this, he explained that as they were leaving the church after they were married and they were headed out on their honeymoon in their horse and buggy, all of a sudden the horse stopped in its track and his new wife got out of the buggy and went up to the horse and pointed her bony finger at the horse and said, that is one. She got back in the buggy. They went down the road a little while, and the horse stopped again. And she got out, and she did the same thing, and she said, that is two. Can you believe it? They went down the road a little bit further, and the horse stopped again. She got out of the buggy, and she pulled out her Smith and Wesson revolver, and she shot the horse right between the eyes. She shot that horse. Her husband said, what in the world are you doing? You cannot shoot an animal. She looked at him and said, Honey, that is one. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now animals and, and people like don't always do what we want them to do. Isn't that true? Animals and people like don't always do what we want them to do. They do things that irritate us and bother us. And, and this morning, I'm going to be right to the point. I, I don't want to be irritating to anybody. <laughs> I don't. And I don't want to be uh, bothersome and tedious. Like Henry VIII said to all of his wives, I won't keep you long. <laughs> I won't keep you long this morning. I want to talk about experiencing freedom this Easter. Jesus Christ was beaten and he was whipped. He was falsely accused. They placed a crown of thorns that were one and a quarter inch long on top of his head, ripping his scalp like a chainsaw rips through a log. He was led down what was called the Via Dolorosa, this pathway, in a weakened condition, barely able to carry his cross. Finally, the Roman soldiers got someone else who carried the rest of the way. And the whole procession made their way up to a place called Gagatha or Skull Hill. And there Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. He was crucified, died the most terrible and awful death. And then he was placed in a tomb. That was Friday. But three days later, 
Jesus Christ rose again. He rose again. What's the significance of Easter? Did you know that Easter is the focal point of all of history? It's the greatest event that ever happened. Why is it so great? It split all of history between A.D. and B.C. We're talking about 2,000 years from what? From the life and from the death and from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is it such a big deal? Did you know in the next 24 hours, billions and billions of people around the world will be celebrating Easter? Why is it such a big deal? Because it proved who Jesus Christ was. Did you know that Jesus Christ made some outrageous statements? Jesus said things like, uh, I'm God. He never claimed to be a great teacher. Incredible things. He said, I'm the Savior of the world. He said, I'm the Messiah. He said, I've, I'm God come in human flesh. And if you kill me, in three days, I'll rise again from the dead. A number of years ago, George Gallup did a major poll. And did you know that 84% of all Americans, 84% of all Americans believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a historical fact? 84% of all Americans believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. Obviously, history is divided between A.D. and B.C. by this particular event. But the issue is not that the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. That's a fact. We believe that. The issue is, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make in our lives today? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make in our lives today? Why do we celebrate that? Well, in a particular paraphrase in Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, notice what it says. Write in your message notes, right in the overhead. Christ bought our freedom with his blood. He bought our freedom with his blood. What does that mean? Jesus Christ bought our freedom with his blood. Well, I believe it means a number of things. I believe that the Bible teaches, first of all, that I can be free from the guilt over the past. I can be free from the sins that I've committed. And we've all said things and we've all done things that we regret. We all said things and done things that we wish we not, not, not have done. And the fact is, is that when we do those things and when we say those things, we often feel very, very guilty over the things that we do or say. And the Bible indicates that I can be forgiven of my sins. That Bible indicates that I can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Yes, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Billy Graham's a sinner. The whole Pope's a sinner. I don't know why it's such a politically incorrect word today. But the Bible indicates that I can be forgiven of my sins and I can have my conscience cleared, so to speak, the slate clean, because the Bible says that the Lord wants to give us a second chance. I want you to look at that particular passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Notice what it says. By the death of Christ, we are set free, that is, our sins are forgiven. Now, even if there wasn't such thing as a heaven, and there is, even if there was not such thing as a heaven, but there is, it would be worth it to become a Christian just to have my past forgiven, just to have my sins forgiven, just to have my conscience clear. Notice in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, he has canceled every record of the debt we owed. Would you circle that word canceled? Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Now canceled is like a canceled check. How many of you do the bills in your family? Want to raise your hand? 
those of you who write checks out for those bills, if you're like me, you write that check out and you don't remember that bill anymore. It's all gone. And this is what we're talking about here. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he made provisions for our sins, and the Bible says that when we ask him to forgive us of our sins, he casts those sins as far as the east is from the west, and he doesn't remember those sins anymore. We like to say that he throws them in the deepest, darkest part of the ocean, and he puts a no fishing sign on top up there. I read a number of years ago about a corporate ladder climber a man in his 30s that was climbing the corporate ladder in Phoenix, Arizona. He was so rushed that he would work long hours at his workplace, and then he would often work on the weekends. And one particular Monday morning after a busy weekend, he grabbed his briefcase, he ran out to his car with a piece of toast in his mouth, and he did not see his little boy, his toddler, that came out and got behind the car, he put it in reverse, he backed down the driveway, and he ran over his little boy. Now you can imagine in the aftermath the guilt and the shame that he felt because his little boy died. That man writes that it took him two or three years to come to grips with that. And someone began to share with him about what God could do for him and help him and how he could be forgiven of his sins and relieved of all that guilt that he felt so intensely in his life. He made that decision. He asked God to forgive him of his sins. And he said, a weight lifted off of his heart. What God has forgiven, I can forget. How many of us were kids had those etching sketches? Did you know they still sell those etching sketches today? Remember those things? You, you would turn the wheel around here and that way and you make all kinds of faces and pictures. And then you turn the etching sketch over and you shake it up and down. Well, I want to tell you that this is the etching sketch verse of the Bible. Look at it with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is what Pastor Brad got through reading. This isn't a paraphrase. There is what? No condemnation. Isn't that great? There is no condemnation. There is no guilt waiting for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so regardless of who you are and regardless of what you've done, the Bible says that God can forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It reminds me of a lady, lady's husband who died a number of years ago, a widow, and she put on his tombstone, the light of my life has gone out. A couple years later, she met another man, and after a whirlwind romance, they got married. And so she went back and had her husband's tombstone changed. It read, I've struck a new match. In all seriousness, God wants to forgive us of our past. The second thing I see in Scripture is that Christ wants to set us free. He wants to set us free from the worry about our future. Did you know that America is a nation of worriers? People worry all the time. They worry about 
the future. They, they worry about their bills. They worry about the problems. They worry about their health. They worry about their careers. They worry about their worries. One of the things that bothers me is that every time I pick up a newspaper, they're telling me about another food that I like that's bad for me. Have you ever noticed that? They're telling me about a, a, another food that I like that's bad for me. I went to the doctor the other day for a health checkup. He said, you got to stop eating red meat. And so uh, I, I've stopped using ketchup on hamburgers. <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh -huh. they, they tell you you can't breathe the air because the air is bad for you. They tell you, you you can't drink the water because the water is bad for you. They tell you about this. No wonder people are, no wonder we're a country, a country of hypochondriacs. Oh, I'm so worried about this, and I'm so worried about that, and I can't do this, and I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. The greatest, common, most common worry is the what-if game. You ever played the what-if game? What if this? And then you ask, what about my future? And what about this? And what's going to happen next week? And what's going to happen next month? And, and whatever it may be. And, 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 and often people would try the inside trap to get the latest information. You know that? I can't believe it. Americans will spend millions of dollars every year. They'll spend all kinds of time and money, educated people, on trying to find out the future. They'll read tea leaves. They'll read tea leaves. Palm reading. Uh, psychic hotline. Astrology. People are paying good money for that kind of stuff. Would you like to be free from worry? This is what 1 Peter says. God's Spirit has been at work in your heart through Jesus Christ. May God grant you increasing, increasing freedom from your anxiety and fear. The Bible says, don't panic. It says, uh, it says don't panic. It says, pray. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Because when you start worrying, if it's worth worrying about, then, it start, then it's worth praying about. Now, it doesn't mean that all of our anxieties, it doesn't mean all of our worries are gone, but he says increasing freedom from anxiety and fear. Now what's the secret to worry-free living? Well, it's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. How many fellows went to our men's retreat this last weekend? Would you raise your hand, those fellows that went to our men's retreat? What was the passage of Scripture that Dr. Kratzer kept saying over and over again, found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? What did he say? Let's say it together. I can do all things through Jesus Christ which strengthens me. That's the secret to this increasing freedom for worry because I'm allowing Jesus Christ to work in my life. I'm trusting the Lord for all these things, for my past, my present, and for my future. Well, there are 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the particular year. Let's go back to the Old Testament. You know what the story is? We're looking at Joshua. The Scripture says that Joshua had to follow in the footsteps of the greatest Old Testament prophet who ever lived, Moses. Moses was the man. He was the prophet. He was the guy that got the Ten Commandments from God on top of that mountain. He was the God guy who, who walked... When the burning bush there, he took off his sandals in that holy moment. He was the guy that God spoke to in an intimate way. He performed all these miracles. He was the leader of the children of Israel. All of a sudden, he's dead now. And God speaks to Joshua and says, you're the next boy. You're the next leader. How would you like to follow in the footsteps of Moses? And here it is. They're ready to go into the promised land. 
The Jordan River is at flood stage, is as wide as a football field is long. All this white water is coming down through there. And uh, Joshua is worried about the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't know what's going to happen next week. How is he going to get those thousands of people across the raging Jordan River at flood stage? And God pulls him aside and has a little pep talk with him. And he says this to him. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For I will deliver you. What are you consumed about? What are you so worried about? Be strong and courageous. The Bible says that Christ wants to set us free from worrying about tomorrow. And I want you to notice also, He can set us free from living without purpose today. He can set us free from living without purpose today. And, and I meet lots of people who are adrift in this world, so to speak. They're like a little uh, stick in the middle of an ocean blowing to and fro and here and there. And did you know that God has put this God-shaped vacuum inside of your heart? This God-shaped vacuum. And, and people try to fill that God-shaped vacuum with all kinds of things. They, they try to fill it with, with prestige and power and popularity, trying to find some sort of peace to fill this God-shaped vacuum that they have inside of their lives. And, and they'll try all kinds of things, even uh, the pursuit of possessions. Remember that bumper sticker a number of years ago that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Remember that? Well, there's a corollary bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And the fact of the matter is, is that prestige and popularity and power and possessions, they do not satisfy. They do not fill up this God-shaped vacuum that's inside of us. And eventually we come to a place and we say, what's the use? Why bother if I'm living for those things? A lot of people get fed up with life. You know, a lot of people, they go to work, they come home, they go to work, they come home, they eat dinner, they, they party on the weekends, they do this year in and year out, and then they retire and then they die. Is that the only purpose I have for my life? Is that the only way I, I, I'm living my life? The good news is this. God does have a purpose. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for every, every single one of our lives. And the reason why I can say that is, is that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are God's, look at it with me, we are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to live the good life as he meant for us to live. In other words, he has a personal mission for your life and he has a personal mission for my life as well. Amen. In fact, I want you to look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Notice, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. I was sharing with someone right before church that I went on the internet this past week and I saw an excerpt of five players from the Super Bowl winning Seattle Seahawks and one of their coaches. And they were being interviewed by a pastor. And the pastor basically asked all of these people, what does Jesus Christ mean to you in your life? 
And they basically all had the same answer. They said, you know, we, we really do have fame. And we do have fortune. And, and, and uh, we have all of these accolades. But I want to let you know that Jesus Christ means the world to me. Each one of them said that. Because I understand and I realize that fame and fortune is very, very limited. Prestige and power is very, very limited. But when it comes to my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I understand who Jesus Christ is and I understand what Jesus Christ has done for me. The Bible says, if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven of my past sins. I can be given power for my life today and I have the hope of eternal life for the future. That's all wrapped up in putting our faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. He gives us purpose and hope for the future. What's the news that we can use this Easter? Well, we can be free from living without purpose. And number four, he can set us free from having to earn our way to heaven. Set us free from having to earn our way to heaven. Now, I want you to look at a particular paraphrase there of Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Notice, Christ, speaking of Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection and his post-resurrection experiences and being at the right hand of God the Father, Christ has set you free from following the world's ideas of how to be saved. Notice, this is the world's idea of how to be saved. This is the world's idea of how to be, how to be saved. By doing good and by obeying various rules. Now, what's the, what's the world's idea of being saved? Don't, don't lose me here. What's the world's idea of being saved? The world's idea of being saved is this. If we were to go out in the Chester's parking lot, or if we were to stand in the corner of the, uh, of the True Value hardware store, and we were to ask an average person on the street, are you going to go to heaven? Most of those people would answer that question and they would say, I think so. I, I hope so. And you would follow up that question and you would say, well, what do you base your hope on? And 99% of those people would say, well, I'm hoping that my good things and my good deeds outweigh my bad. And yet we read right there that it's not obeying rules and regulations and it's not obeying commandments. It's not being a good enough person to earn your way into heaven. It's not by works, lest any man boast. It's not by the things that you do. We can't pull ourselves up on our bootstraps. God doesn't grade on the curve. It doesn't work that way. Colossians 2.20, one more time. Christ has set us free from following the world's ideas of how to be saved by doing good and by obeying various rules. Now, I want to give you the summary, I believe, of what the Bible is teaching on this particular set. I want to make it real, real simple. Here it is. Don't miss it. Heaven is a perfect place. And only perfect people can get to heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. And only perfect people can get to heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's no crime in heaven. There's no bad motives in heaven. There's no disease. There's no mistakes. And you have to be absolutely perfect to go there. You say, I don't stand a chance. And neither do I. I don't stand a chance. If heaven is a perfect place and God only allows perfect people to go there, I don't stand a chance. And you don't stand a chance. Because we've said things and we've done things and because the Bible says that we're all sinners and we've done all this particular stuff. 
And so you have to be perfect to go there. And so God came up with plan B. Let's just reiterate real quick here, okay? Stay with me. The Bible says there are two ways to get to heaven. Plan A is to be perfect. And that means from the time that you were born, you never sin, you never do anything wrong, you never say anything wrong, you're a goody two-shoes, so to speak, you, you always do the right thing, you always say the right thing, and then you live a perfect life and you stand before God and, 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 and God says, why should I let you in my heaven? And you say, because I never did anything wrong. But the likelihood of that happening is like trying to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame by batting 1,000 and playing error-free baseball your entire career. Only the best can bat a little over 300, and there is no player that's ever entered Baseball Hall of Fame ever playing error-free baseball. And so what, what's going on here? God came up with plan B. I want you to look at that passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. You don't earn the right to heaven. Notice, it is a gift. If a person could earn it by being good, then it wouldn't be free. But it is. This verse is telling us. You're not saved by obeying rules. You're not saved by obeying regulations. You're not saved by jumping through all these hoops. You're not saved by pulling yourself up by your, by your own bootstraps. I don't care if you're Catholic. I don't care if you're Protestant. I don't care if you're Buddhist. I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care if you're Jewish. Religion is man's way of trying to get to God. Christianity is Christ trying to get to humanity. It's knowing Christ, and it's a free gift. A number of years ago, I read about a pastor, fellow pastor, who took his 10-year-old son to a carnival. How many of you have ever taken your children to carnivals? You know what I'm talking about. You take, he, took his, he took his child to a carnival. It was his son's birthday. And so he took seven of his son's friends as well. And so they, stand, they were standing on this, in this line of these, uh, these carnival rides. And so he handed a ticket to his first son. And then he handed a ticket to every uh, one of his son's friends. Seven pairs of hands. They did this for several different rides. On the third or fourth ride... He handed the ticket to his son, seven of his son's friends, and there was an eighth pair of hands. Who are you? I'm your son's new friend. And he said that his dad would give me a ticket. His dad would give me a ticket and let me in. One day, you're going to stand before God, and God's going to say to you, listen, this is important. One day you're going to stand before God, and God's going to say to you, why should I let you know my heaven? Are you going to say, well, I, I, I'm a good person? I'm, I, I'm a good person? I'm a perfect person? Absolutely not. You're, if you're a smart person, and if you've done this, you're going to say, I'm getting into heaven because of Jesus Christ. I'm getting to heaven on Christ's ticket. The only person, perfect person who's ever lived. I'm going to get into heaven on Christ's ticket. Not my own. Not because I earn it. Not because I deserve it. But because I put my faith and trust in Christ. Now, you don't get to heaven by earning it. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Would you circle that eternal life? We're looking at that scripture there. And the fact is, we don't like to talk about it, but let's talk about it. We're all going to die one of these days. Did you know that the first week 
that I was here, the very first week that I was here, I had two funeral services back to back. That is one thing that you can count on is your taxes and death. What a morbid thought, Pastor Ron. Thank you very much. But that's what you can count on. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that only a person would not prepare for something that's, that's inevitable? Don't we want to prepare for something that's inevitable? And the Bible says that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he promises to give us eternal life, which is life after death. Well, we're talking about what Christ can do for us. And the obvious question is, have you received this gift? Have we received it? These four benefits that I've talked about here, I can live a guilt-free life, I can live a worry-free life, I can live with purpose, and I can live with not having to earn my way to heaven. That's the good news because Christ says that we can be forgiven and we can put our faith and trust in him. And the question is, have you received this gift? That's the most important question. Have you received this gift? I want to close this morning with a favorite story of mine. There's a... There's a preacher, pastor, a homiletics professor, someone that teaches preaching to student preachers a number of years ago that lived. He was an author as well, and he was well used of the Lord. His name was Fred Craddock. And I remember reading in one of his particular books about the time that he was speaking in a neighboring state in the south someplace. And one particular morning, he went to breakfast at one of those little places, just a hole-in-the-wall place. He was having breakfast with his friend. And in walked a distinguished elderly-looking gentleman was bent over from the years, walking with a cane. And his friend called him over and introduced him to this pastor, preacher, this homiletics professor, and said, this is Fred Craddock, and uh, told him what he did. Well, everybody in the Deep South has a preacher story, and that's exactly what this man said. He said, you know, I've got a preacher story for you. It actually happened to me. He said, when I was a little boy, all of a sudden, I lost my dad unexpectedly. And I was beside myself. I could not find any comfort. I couldn't find any help. I couldn't find any hope. I was beside myself. He said, I would find myself walking up and down the streets of that little community, crying and bawling not finding any comfort whatsoever because it was totally unexpected and I love my dad and my dad loved me. He said, I began to attend a church down the street from us during this period of time. I would walk into the worship service after it started and I would leave before the message was finished. 
But one particular Sunday morning, after several Sundays in a row of doing this, I got so caught up in the pastor's message and I got so caught up in the sermon that he dismissed everybody and I found myself walking up the crowded aisle trying to get out of that church. And as I was walking up that crowded aisle, I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder and the hand turned me around. It was a pastor, it was a preacher of that church. And he said to me, whose son are you? Whose boy are you? And then he said, I know who your father is. I know who you're the son of. And he proceeded to tell me about God's love for me and how God could be my heavenly father. That, that man, after he told the story with tears in his eyes, left the table and walked out the front door. Fred Craddock asked the fellow who he was with, who is that man? And the man said, that's Ben Smith, the former two-term governor of the state. You cannot tell me that Christ cannot make a difference in your life. You cannot tell me that He doesn't make a difference in my life. You cannot tell me that Jesus Christ, what He did 2,000 plus years ago, doesn't make a difference in our lives today. You can't tell me that. There are too many lives that have been transformed. There are too many lives that have been changed. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, please? <clears throat> I cannot give you Christ's salvation. You have to ask for it, how you might.